The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Learn who rules over you, simply find out that you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host. Today is Tuesday the 2nd of January 2024. The time here in the UK is 9.41am, making it 11.41am over in South Africa. So let's bring up our friend Dr Peter Hammond. Peter, are you with us? I'm with you, yes. Thank you, Andrew, and Happy New Year to you and the listeners. Thank you, Peter. Happy New Year to you and all at Frontline Fellowship. Um, now, the topic you have for us today is the real story of the world war of worldviews confronting Western civilization. You're just about to start your biblical worldview summit. Uh, folks, if you want to see a picture of that, if you go to my website, achshow.com, uh, the last traditional Christian message, the picture you see, is at the top of, I believe, Table Mountain uh, at uh, part of the Biblical Worldview Summit, but where would you like to start us off today, Peter? Well, I don't think anyone can miss the fact we're in a world war these days, and its main attack is on Western Christian civilization and biblical values. Cancel culture is nothing other than a trojan horse uh, for communism, and basically cancel culture means cancel Christianity, cancel Christian civilization. We've seen a good example of this just recently in America. There was a, a statue or an idol set up to Satan in the Iowa State Capitol, in the Capitol building, an idol to Satan with the goat's head and horns and all of that, set up with the occultic pentagrams and all these symbols in the Capitol building in Iowa in Des Moines. And believe it or not, uh, the, there was somebody who took offense to this and actually dismantled it. And before you knew it, there was massive outrage in the media. How could he dismantle the statue? Now, the same crowd who were cheering the pulling down of statues to great Christian leaders like General uh, Robert the Americas, Christopher Columbus, pulling down those statues, these people cheered. In fact, when Judge Roy Moore of Alabama set up a monument to the Ten Commandments as the foundation of all law, uh, this was dismantled by federal uh, intervention. They dismantled the Ten Commandments statue because that was offensive. And that was interesting because these are the same people who are now complaining about dismantling an 
a statue, an idol to Satan. Now, the idol to Satan was not a national monument. It was not protected by law. In fact, it's hard to see how it breaks any laws to dismantle a statue to Satan. There's no um, constitutional legal basis for protecting an anti-religion or an anti-belief like Satanism. In fact, many people into Satanism claim that they don't believe Satan exists, but they're worshipping Satan as a way of mocking Christianity and mocking religion. So whether they are sincere in worshipping Satan or not, it's got no legal protection. But here you've got a situation so insane that you get into trouble for dismantling. The man got uh, charged and with a criminal uh, misconduct uh, for dismantling this idol to Satan in the Des Moines um, uh, Capitol building in Iowa. But yet the people condemning him for taking it down were cheering the pulling down of how many national monuments and statues. And right now they're trying to dismantle the con what they're calling the Confederate monument, but it, the correct name is the Reconciliation Monument. There's a Reconciliation Monument which previous presidents, even including Obama, sent wreaths to Wrigley, and now they've had to dismantle it in Arlington National Cemetery, um, and they're busy dismantling it right now, the so-called uh, Confederate Monument, which is actually the Reconciliation Monument, and that's not an interpretation, that's a fact. It was called the Reconciliation Monument, and it was set up over 100 years ago by people much closer to the events in question, and now you've got if you, you try to dismantle a reconciliation monument, what does it say? You don't support reconciliation and national unity. If you want to dismantle a monument to the Ten Commandments, what are you saying? And I think we've always known that there's many in the media and in politics who support Satan and who are worshipping Satan and serving Satan, but I don't think any of us expect them to be quite so blatant about it. So now you've got a ridiculous situation that if you say all lives matter, then you are a racist. If an American stands for his country's flag and national anthem, he has to apologize. You reach a situation where you're allowed to burn down churches as a protest, but you're not allowed to go to church to worship during the lockdown lunacy, masquerade madness, COVID cult. You weren't allowed to open your business, but you could loot and destroy other people's businesses. The police in America were condemned as racist pigs, but Antifa and BLM mobs could destroy cities because they were called protesters. People were not allowed to protest oppressive COVID-19 lockdown regulations, but they were allowed to riot against racism whenever they wanted. You weren't allowed to play with friends and family at the park, but you could destroy the park. You were not allowed to protect monuments in history, but you could graffiti vandalize and pull down national monuments. You were not allowed to have an opinion on these issues. And if you express an opinion other than the mandated mantra of the politically correct crowd, then you're a racist bigot guilty of hate speech who deserves abuse. You could riot with Black Lives Matter or Burn, Loot, Murder, Paul, Lucifer, Moloch, BLM. But if you went to a Trump rally, then COVID-19 magically reappeared as a threat to public health and you were highly irresponsible. And so what we are seeing is the most deadly mind virus in history, which is communism. The most destructive force in history is being protected and celebrated. And identity politics, which divides people as groups and pits groups against one another, Confuse, divide, and conquer, aiming at complete state ownership of your life, where state power can even supersede the church. That's where we are right now. And so for centuries, it's been recognized that freedom of worship and freedom of religion are good. Freedom of 
conscience, freedom of opinion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of movement, freedom of enterprise, free enterprise, all of these have been recognized as essential for freedom. And yet now you can get into deep trouble if you stand for something like freedom of speech. And to say something such as all lives matter, or there's only two genders biologically, or marriage can only be between a man and a woman, and you find yourself in deep trouble. So people who claim to support freedom of speech are opposing freedom of speech on college campuses, on social media, and when it comes to a pro-life, pro-family, pro-marriage, creation science view, or anything that's Christian, um, then you find yourself suddenly politically incorrect, deplatformed, and it wasn't that long ago um, that I was studying in school George Orwell's 1984 book. In Rhodesia, 1984 and Animal Farm by George Orwell were required reading set work books at school in, under English literature. And he warned in his 1984 of a coming newspeak when words would be hijacked to further the totalitarian agenda of revolutionaries. War is peace. Ignorance is knowledge. Slavery is freedom. And the Ministry of Peace organized the wars. And the Ministry of Love engaged in torture. And the Ministry of Truth distorted all media, rewrote history and deals with lies. And all this was predicted in George Orwell's 1984, written in 1948. The Ministry of Plenty organized the rationing, the shortages, and ensured starvations. And those who questioned the newspeak of Big Brother were guilty of thought crimes, which were prosecuted by thought police. Enemies of the revolutionary state would be vaporized, become unpersons, and disappear down the memory hole, or be deleted and deplatformed by big tech social media platform censors. So we are seeing today what George Orwell warned us about in 1984 and an animal farm. And it is a disastrous situation we're in. It's a world war of worldviews. Well, the Bible warns us about this. Our Lord Jesus Christ told us back in Matthew 12, verse 30. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. And you can see that society has basically been pushed into a situation if you're for Jesus Christ, you are being discriminated against and you're being deplatformed and you're being censored. So those, what, what you're now calling a world war of worldviews is actually a conflict of those who are for Christ and those who are against Christ. Joshua put it very well in Joshua 24 verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the God your forefathers served beyond the river or the God to the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And Elijah on Mount Carmel put it so clearly, 1 Kings 18, 21. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, we'll follow him. And here we are in a situation where in Britain, People have gotten into trouble for flying the national flag. There have been cases where the police have come up to a protester who's flying the St. George's Cross, in other words, the flag of England, the national flag of England, and told that he's got to take this flag down because it's, it's considered provocative and racist. The national flag of England, to think that it can be a problem to fly the flag of England in England. It's fine to fly the flag of Scotland. It's fine to fly the flag of Ireland, uh, but to fly the flag of England is now considered something racist and dangerous. And in fact, I have a friend who was with us in Wittenberg for the Reformation 500 in 2017, and he actually was part of a group of preachers who were arrested in Bristol 
for doing open-air preaching. They were proclaiming the gospel and got arrested by police in Bristol, Bristol, which is where the great evangelical awakening began with George Whitfield preaching in the open air. And to think people could get arrested in Britain for preaching um, the gospel. And they were brought before a judge who fortunately threw the case out. But the fact that these things can happen, there's a case in Hyde Park where a preacher was attacked while police stood by and did nothing. Now, you're meant to be able to say anything you like in Hyde Park, even outrageous things. This man was just preaching the gospel. And the police did not deal with those who physically assaulted him. They threatened to arrest the man who was being assaulted because he had apparently offended homosexuals and um, Muslim radicals who were attacking him. So apparently now Christianity, white Christian males in particular, are the only ones who can be discriminated against. So we're living in a very uh, much of a world war of worldviews where you can be guilty of a thought crime. And the thought police can attack you because of what you think or believe. And we read in Romans 12, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is where we are. We need to have our minds renewed. Our minds are being brainwashed. We're being attacked by all kinds of indoctrination and propaganda. What used to be education has now become, in many cases, indoctrination. Education is teaching someone how to think critically. Whereas indoctrination is teaching a person what to think. My first history teacher in high school in Rhodesia was a member of parliament, Mr. Rhys Davies, who taught us, beware the victor's version. Do not regurgitate the textbook. And Rhys Davies, who was also a member of parliament, um, when I asked him, sir, how can a member of parliament be a teacher? Uh, he said, we don't get paid for being members of parliament. We need a real job too. And back then, members of parliament were not paid. I'm talking about the 1970s now. And it was something they, they donated their time to the society uh, after being successful in whatever business or profession they were in. They donated their time. It wasn't a get-rich-quick scheme, which now politics seems to have become. And he warned us, uh, do not regurgitate the textbook. Textbooks lie. Ask why. Always ask why. Don't just accept the official version. And that's real education. I was taught in Rhodesia to question things, and that's why they had books like 1984 and George Orwell's Animal Farm as textbooks in English literature. Today, you get into trouble if you ask questions. You ask why, and you could be in deep trouble. So Colossians 2 verse 8 warns us, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. And I think many have been taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy like atheism and uh, hedonism, Marxism, and now the transgender cult and this transhumanism. So many things are coming in and uh, undermining Western Christian civilization and the biblical worldview that's behind it. And that's why you can see everything that will break down Christianity is supported and everything that will support Christianity is penalized, if not forbidden. And so plainly, we're living in a world war of worldviews. The scripture tells us, Contend for the faith which was once for all entrusted to the saints, Jude 3. Contend, fight for the faith. We should be defending the faith. We should be like salt and light, preserving what is good in our society and shining the light on what is wrong. Salt and light. We have in the scripture the teaching, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we need to fear God. We should not be fearing public opinion. We should not be fearing the world. We should be fearing God, our creator. 
the eternal judge, the one before whom we must stand on the day of judgment and give an account of our lives. But we have a choice. It's will you uh, serve Baal or will you serve God? Will you gather for Christ or will you scatter? Um, and Psalm 1, which summarizes all Psalms, puts it so well. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a stream, like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So plainly, Psalm 1 is showing us there's a great contrast. There's a great divide between those who are wise and those who are foolish, between those on the broad road leading to destruction or those on the narrow road leading to life, between those who bear good fruit and those who bear bad fruit. And in so many ways, you can see we're living in a world that is divided. Our Lord said he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And in many ways, the Lord has brought a division because there are those who are for Christ and those who are against him. There are those who are gathering and those who are scattering. There are those who are building their lives on the rock of God's word and those who are building on the sand. There are those who are on the broad road to destruction and those on the narrow way to life. And there is a great conflict between these. It's a world war. It's a world war of worldviews. And we're told in James 4 verse 4, You adulterous people do not know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And we can see that now, it's quite blatant, that there's much hostility towards God, so that you can get into trouble for putting up a monument to the Ten Commands, but it's fine to put up a statue to Satan. And if you try to pull down a statue of Satan, you are in trouble and you get arrested. Whereas if you pull down statues of Christopher Columbus and General Robert E. Lee and so on, that's acceptable. And people will applaud you for cancel culture, pulling down of monuments of Christians, and that which represents Christian civilization. But you get into trouble if you want to remove some idol representing evil personified like Satan. So this is where we are. And people ask, how did we get to the situation? Well, we need to understand worldviews. A worldview is a presupposition. Everyone is influenced by a worldview, whether consciously or unconsciously, whether consistently or inconsistently. Um, you are dominated by a worldview, which means a set of presuppositions or assumptions and these may be true, they may be partly true, they might be false, but everyone's influenced by a worldview. And so you don't get anything like neutral education. Education is Roman Catholic, or it's Protestant, or it's Islamic, um, it is secular humanist, but there's no such thing as neutral education because thoughts are not neutral. And education is advancing prescribed beliefs and, and behaviors which is based upon whatever that worldview is um, orientated around, whether it's Islamic, whether it's Catholic, whether it's Protestant, biblical, or whether it's secular, humanist, atheistic. And these days, you can see even represented by transhumanism or transgenderism and so many radical agendas that can make a massive difference. So your worldview determines your values. It influences how you think and therefore it guides how you live. So our worldview consists of those sets of beliefs and presuppositions we hold about basic realities of the world. Worldviews answer these basic questions of life. What is reality? 
Well, some people say reality is that there is no reality or that it's fire or it's as water or it's a spirit. And so people have different ideas of what is reality. And what is our basis of knowledge? How can we know anything? And some people would say, well, uh, the only way to know anything, um, your base of knowledge um, would be from existentialism, experience, what you can see, uh, touch, feel. Um, how can you know what is right and wrong? Does the Pope decide it? Is this something that's determined by majority vote? Um, is this something solved by opinion polls? How do you know what is right or wrong? And then what is man? Are we evolved slime? Are we just from molecules to mud to monkeys to man? Um, are we an, an accident, a cosmic accident? What is man? What happens to a person after death? Do we believe in reincarnation, for example? Uh, extinction. What, is, what happens to a person after he dies? What is the meaning of history? Of course, the Marxists believe history is all about dialectical materialism and uh, the conflict between the oppressor, the oppressors and the oppressed, between the um, employers and employees, between the workers and the bourgeois. So what is the meaning of history? Why is there suffering and evil in the world? Now, that was easy to understand if you're an ancient Greek because they believe many gods and so they expect you to believe that the most famous war in history, the war in Troy, uh, that that was caused by some gods and goddesses having a, a competition and an argument. And it's because there were many gods in the world and therefore uh, they would meddle in the affairs of men and next thing you know, there's good gods and there's bad gods and they're causing all kinds of havoc. And that's the way the, the war in Troy, the Iliad and Odyssey presents reality. What is the purpose of our existence? How should we live? Well, the Bible makes clear and answer these questions that God is ultimate reality. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And our base of knowledge is God's revelation. In the past, God spoke through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in and through his Son, Jesus Christ. We can know what is right and wrong from the Word of God, because all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. Man is created by God, but human nature is sinful or totally depraved. Because we are created by God, there is some good, even in the worst of us. But because we have fallen, there is bad, there is even evil, even in the best of us. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What happens after death? The Bible says man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. So after death, each one of us faces eternal judgment, and will either enjoy God's gracious rewards in heaven or endure God's just punishments in hell. History is his story. God is sovereign over history. The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. He gives them to anyone he wishes. And so we can see that God judges wicked nations and he lifts up nations and he pulls down nations and kings. Suffering and evil are the result of man's rebellion against God since the fall. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Adam and Eve fell into sin, and that is why we are experiencing suffering today. Suffering and evil is not a result of God the Creator. It's the result of man's wicked decisions and rebellion. What is the purpose of our existence? To glorify God and to worship him forever. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And we should, how should we live? We should live in obedience to the Bible. The Lord your God commands you this day to follow his decrees and his laws, to carefully obey them, with all your heart and with all your soul. 
So why do we think like we do? Well, there's many reasons. First is hereditary, the genetic makeup we receive from our parents. And sometimes you can see in your parents or in your children, um, plainly there's certain hereditary traits and characteristics. There's also your culture, uh, the system of moral, ascetic values in the society in which we live. I grew up in Rhodesia, the last um, colony, they call it, uh, the, a part of the old world in Africa where we had European Western Christian civilization in Africa, and that was betrayed by the British Commonwealth and the, the British State Department, the US State Department, the British Foreign Office, worked hard to destroy Rhodesia. We were standing on the front line of the fight against communism. Well, the culture I learned in my upbringing affected me. You're affected by your family, your upbringing, the events and relationships. My parents went through the Second World War and my father fought all six years in the 8th Army in North Africa and Italy and the war affected him and affected his way of thinking. Our national political developments and the crisis uh, that we experience as we grow up affects us all. And just as my father was affected by the Second World War, I was affected by the Rhodesian Bush War and the portrayal of Rhodesian, the revolution in Rhodesia, and then the war in Southwest Africa, Angola, and the um, crisis in South Africa, and the betrayal of South Africa, the sanctions against South Africa. All these national events affected my upbringing and affects how I think. Our education, both at school and at home, affects us. And I praise God I still had a, a good education where we taught to think critically and to question everything. And so that affects how we think, the kind of education we received, both formal and informal. And then entertainment, the music we listen to, the films we watch, the books we read, the things we do, that affects us. I'm glad when I grew up, I grew up in a society where they had censorship laws protecting us from pornography. I didn't even know of the existence of pornography. So I had a protected childhood and I grew up free of the kind of filth that's just defiling society today in this where we had um, excellence in entertainment, whatever things are good and beautiful and virtuous, that was what was being lifted up. Um, we are affected by our relationships, our friendships, the people we work with, our neighbors and our marriage partner, that affects us. Our personal choices, of course, affect us, or the lack of choices. Not to decide is to decide not to in many ways. So we are a compilation of our hereditary genetic makeup, the culture, family, national events, and education we received growing up, the entertainment we choose, our relationships, and our choices. There are people who can say, and I've got friends who used to be drug addicts and Satanists and robbers and uh, criminals uh, who have been converted and by God's grace have been transformed. So the final major reason why we think like we do is revelation. God's acts of grace in communicating just through his word and through his works. And so I know that at age 17, as a secular person brought up in a family where I was taught to be an agnostic, I walked into a cinema which a local church had taken over for an evangelistic rally, and I heard the gospel for the first time in my life. And by God's grace, I was transformed. And that changed me. It changed my direction in life, changed my way of thinking and everything. So how? why do we think like we do? Well, the media that we imbibe affects us, the relationships we have, the choices we make, our parents, our background, our culture, all of this affects us. So we need to be aware of why we think like we do. If you want to evaluate anyone's worldview, whether you think about a producer of a film, a director, a scriptwriter, a journalist, 
an editor, a speaker, a lecturer, an author, you ask, what is he using to interpret as facts? I mean, is it Das Kapital? Is it, uh, is it the Bible? Is it the Quran? What is he using to interpret as facts? What are his fundamental beliefs about life? And, you know, people who believe life is meaningless, you know, you came from nothing, you're going nowhere, life is meaningless. Well, that's going to affect you. And so people who hold to atheism will have a different viewpoint than those who believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. How consistent is this worldview? You do find people who have very inconsistent beliefs. They claim to be atheists, but there they borrow a lot of timber from uh, the Christian forest in order to build up, up their worldview, you know, which is basically poaching. So you can ask somebody on the streets, you know, would you consider yourself to be a good person? They will say, yes, I do. Well, by what standard do you evaluate your your um, life? And you get atheists to reject God saying, well, I believe that I should do to others that I should be done unto. Now, wait a minute, that's a teaching of Jesus. That doesn't come from atheism. Uh, that That's something he's borrowed from Christianity. So people are not always consistent. And what is the practical implications of his worldview? If you believe you came from nothing and you're going nowhere and life is meaningless, what's the results of that? What will this mean for me personally? And what does it mean for the world in general? What happens if everyone consistently lives by this worldview? And you can see the dead-end streets of atheism and evolutionism, for example. And you can see how dangerous it is when people believe in Islamic jihad and that killing people because of what they believe is acceptable and how disastrous communism is. So specific questions. Intellectually, what does he believe is true about himself and his place in history? Physically, how does he treat or how does he mistreat his body? Does he overeat? Does he oversleep? Does he overexercise, underexercise? Socially, how does he interact with his friends and enemies? How does he distinguish between the rich and the poor, the strong and the weak? Economically, what are his motivations in work? How does he spend his wages, especially discretionary uh, amounts of money? What a person spends their money on tells you quite a lot about what they think is important. And ethically, what are his moral guidelines and obligations? What directs his thinking about justice and righteousness? And so ethics are important. Now, the different humanist worldviews we should recognize. One is rationalism, which seeks to discover the structure of reality guided by human reason alone. There's empiricism, which says reason alone is not sufficient. All knowledge must be based upon information provided by our senses. If I can't see it, touch it, feel it, hear it, it's not real. That's empiricism. And then there's materialism. Nothing is real except the physical. Whatever I can see and touch. If I can't see and touch it, it doesn't exist. Existentialism evaluates everything from subjective personal experience. Me, myself, and I. That's what matters. Uh, very selfish. And that's the view. Existentialism is the main view that you'll get from Hollywood and much of the media today. And then there's agnosticism. Maintaining it's impossible to settle the primary questions of life because of the limitations of human knowledge. Agnosticism basically means I don't know. But if you agree with them, they start to get angry with you because they, while they claim to be agnostics, they still want to be knowles. So we need to understand the worldview that's against us. Alexander Solzhenitsyn described humanism as the proclaimed and practiced autonomy of man from any higher force above him. And humanism was described by Francis Schaeffer as the placing of man at the center of all things the maker of man, the measure of all things. So the base of secular humanism, which dominates our society today, in theology, it's atheism. 
they believe there's no God. Their biology is evolutionism. Man is a product of evolutionary chance. Once upon time, there was nothing. And then there was something, and that something became everything from goo to the zoo to you. Ethics. The ethics of, of secular humanism is amorality or relativism. There are no moral absolutes. Is it right to, well, it depends, and so on. Psychology, self-actualization or existentialism. Everything revolves around me, myself, and I, the new trinity. Sociologically, humanism wants a classless world society, the abolition of the traditional family. They want genderless, classless, um, roleless society where you no longer have male and female and they're wanting a transgender, classless world society. Economically, of course, one word, socialism. Secular humanism stands for the redistribution of wealth through government interference in the economy. And politics, one word describes a humanist politics, it's globalism, a one-world government, which the Bible warns us will include a one-world religion and a one-world economic system. Revelation 13 speaks of it. So what is the humanist agenda that we're facing? Well, man is a product of evolutionary chance, and this theory must be taught as a fact of science in schools and the media. Education must be controlled by the state. Education must be secular, free of moral absolutes, and non-Christian. Sex education state-controlled schools should be compulsory. Pornography should be allowed as free speech. Abortion is a woman's right. Homosexuality is an acceptable alternative lifestyle. Transgenderism is a, a personal choice. Criminals are victims of society. They need treatment and rehabilitation. And rather than punish criminals, it's society as a whole that should be punished. And the rights of citizens to obtain or own or use firearms for self-defense must be limited and eventually eliminated. All power, all authority must be gradually and progressively centralized in big government. And the results of humanism is written all over the pages of history. The revolutions, massacres, and totalitarianism of the communist East, the permissiveness and decadence of the democratic West, the pornography plague, the drug epidemic, the crime explosion, escalating inflation, the abortion holocaust, the AIDS and STDs pandemics. These are some of the results of secular humanism. Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say. Let us throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and he terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. And so... These are just some of the things we have to consider when we look at the world war of worldviews, understanding how we are in a crisis situation there where everything is at stake, especially our personal civilization, our chances of having a normal civilized life, our standards for ourselves, our children, our grandchildren, future generations are all at stake because everything Christian is under attack. So it's important that we know what we believe, why we believe it, and how to defend it in arguments. We need to know how to make a stand in an anti-Christian society. It's not just a non-Christian society now. We live in an anti-Christian society, and it's vital for us that we um, stand firm and we resist the globalists in this new world order, or should we say new world disorder, with the powers that should not be. Back to you, Andrew.
Thank you, Peter. And uh, no, it's interesting that you say that. And the other thing, of course, um, where you're embarking upon uh, your busiest time of the year with your Biblical Worldview Summit and Great Commission course of 2024. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to start this Friday. Uh, and it's going to go on till pretty much the end of the month. Peter and I won't be bringing you another show until four weeks today on Tuesday, January the 30th. But there are links in the post for this show. I've got its own little heading, Biblical Worldview Summit and Great Commission Course 2024. Uh, please pray for the upcoming Biblical Worldview Summit and the Great Commission Course. Please support, uh, if you're able to, there is a Give, Send, Go link below that. There is a Biblical Worldview Summit video, and there is a catalogue as well below that. So if you are able to support through prayer or donation, please do so. Uh, It is the major course that Peter offers each year on top of all the missionary work and the ministry work that he does. But Peter, what could you tell us... um, however you want to talk through it we've got about 15 minutes left so if you want to give us an idea of uh, of how a day goes how a week goes on these two courses that run uh in tandem for one week and then the commission course continues for three yes so we've had well over 120 biblical worldview seminars and summits over the years it's not just in south africa i've conducted biblical worldview summits also in the congo in fact, we had our biggest attendance there. Lubumbashi in Congo had something like 3,000 participants, including generals, judges, and uh, some uh, higher people involved in politics as well, and teachers. So we've conducted biblical worldview summits also in Malawi, in Namibia, in Nigeria, Romania, Sudan, South Sudan, South Africa, throughout South Africa, uh, and in the United States, Zambia and Zimbabwe. So We've had people coming from all over the world to our Biblical Worldview Summits, including people from as far afield as New Zealand and from Nigeria and Canada, uh, from Germany and Switzerland, Romania and Russia. It's, it's been quite an amazing experience over the years running these courses. And uh, they aim to be body, mind and spirit. So we start every morning with PT at 6.30 in the morning. Um, so physical training is first and then there's opportunities for quiet times and um, and then uh, breakfast and devotions and morning lectures. Afternoons tend to be practicals, team building, sometimes uh, self-defense classes, unarmed combat, sword fighting, archery, air rifles, um, sometimes shooting range and paintball guns and so on. We do a wide range of, of uh, self-defense practicals and team building, obstacle crossing, uh, hiking, uh, in the forest and up and over mountains. We surround by beautiful mountains in Cape Town, Tag Mountain, Lion's Head. We get to the top of them. Uh, we do outreaches in getting the people into the streets and shopping malls and door-to-door in some cases. For many people, it's the first time in their life they've ever personally shared their faith with someone or had the chance of leading someone to Christ. So it's a wonderful opportunity. Uh, practically, we, we have workshops like evangelism workshops, public speaking workshops, debating games like Just a Minute, where people are put in a short uh, opportunity to communicate crisply and coherently on a subject without any hesitation, deviation or repetition. And uh, the others on the, on the team interrupt uh, when they hesitate, deviate or um, in some way um, hesitate 
deviate or repeat themselves. And then uh, that's the adjustment programs. We have variety concert. We have hikes in the evening. We have practical activities uh, of all sorts, including a Bible exam at the end, which um, if a person doesn't pass, they will be given it again, given a chance to do it again until they get it right. That's required for people to finish the course. And uh, there's some very inspiring films. Uh, we've got, for example, Sound of Freedom lined up for this time as well, because we've got uh, strong involvement in fighting human trafficking and modern slavery. We'll show films like God's Not Dead and Evolution versus God and Life Mark. These are just some of films that we've got lined up um, in this particular program. And uh, the high point of the course is at the end of January, when we finished the three-week Great Commission course, everyone hikes up and over Tabe Mountain, which is a, a big program. In fact, Tabe Mountain's a thousand meters above sea level, over 3,000 feet. But uh, one of our people who had one of these watches that marks how many steps you take said that this was 35,000 steps, that Tabe Mountain hike. And of course, our hikes are all done with backpacks of Arabic scriptures. It's not enough just to, to do the distance because... In missions, you've got to carry literature. So it's very physical as well. There's the taking of uh, backpacks of literature for all the hikes. And so people are doing weight training as well. We guarantee to stretch people's minds and muscles. So it's been a very much a body, mind, and spirit program. We started off these courses years ago to as selection and training programs for people who wanted to join our mission, but it's gotten a lot wider than that. Most people who come to our camps and courses have no commitment or intention to be involved in our mission. And that's fine. We've had people come to these camps and courses as preparation for going to university or to join other missions. Many people have gone through our courses have ended up joining missions like Youth of the Mission, Operation Mobilization, Wycliffe Bible Translators, New Tribes Mission, and others. And we're happy about that. And of course, it's nice to recruit some people into our mission too. We always short of staff, but we team players. We're doing this for the good of the kingdom of so we don't just look at the symptoms of what's wrong in society, but the root causes. And we promote renewed vision and revitalized leadership and discipline. When a person's gone through three weeks of daily PT and daily devotions, you've started a good habit. And the people are, uh, at the end of these courses, fitter than they were when they started. And, well, some people, one of our great victorious test users, uh, my father-in-law's secretary came out to our course back in early 2002, and she, on the first day, said, I've, you know, when we told her to run around Rondebosch Common, she said, I've never run anywhere in my whole life. All she could do was walk around the common to start with. Well, fair enough, uh, but by the end, she was running around without stopping, and then she did the Table Mountain hike, and as she said, I've burned more calories than I'm worth. She's a very slim little girl, but... When she finished the course, she went back to Arizona and started doing runs. And before you knew it, she was doing half marathons and marathons. And uh, now she's married with five children and she's a missionary in India. So, you know, there's a success story. Someone who couldn't run around the block managed in the end to climb Tab Mountain. And this is what regularity does, you know, persistent um, day after day um, PT, we're building up people's strength and building up their abilities. And just as you can stretch muscles, you can stretch minds as well. So we've had people who've started off who would have been totally, you know, evolution, um, secular humanism, atheism, and so on. 
And by the end, they've got a completely different mindset and everything. They question everything. And uh, some of them have become creation science lecturers and all sorts of amazing things have, have developed. So this has been going on for over 25 years now. I've been running biblical worldview seminars, 28 years now, actually. And uh, it's, um, no, it's now 33 years, 33 years of biblical worldviews and 25 years of Great Commission courses. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. It sounds uh, wonderful. Um, and uh, I you know, wish all the best to you and everyone who participates in the Great Commission course coming up. Um, in We've got uh, a few minutes, so is there any... I don't want to put you on the spot here, but... Um, well, I'm going to share a story. I don't generally share something like this on our shows, but I, uh, I get up in the morning. At the moment, it's generally dark i get up when it's still dark so the birds are still you know sleeping they don't tend to get up too early uh but uh, uh well when it's dark basically but as it comes to daylight you start to hear some of them you know singing away and what have you and yesterday on january the fir- first um i just noticed that there was just no birds singing at all not throughout the whole day and i i had a very strange sense of foreboding that i don't think i felt before and it really i know that there was that big uh, earthquake over in japan but uh, we're a long way from japan in the uk and i don't think they were expecting any tsunamis to strike here but i just wondered if you had any thoughts as uh, a spiritual person with your faith about 2024 if uh, you know your thoughts on that well i'm certainly very concerned about 2024 because we've got an insane government in the United States that seems to be trying to pick wars all over the world. And um, I'm pretty sure most of us, no matter what we think about Donald Trump and so on, don't think we would have this horrible war in Ukraine if he had remained president. And uh, it just shows fake elections and fake votes and fake presidents um, don't particularly help. And we've got this highly irresponsible behavior in America. The U.S., Defense Department, so-called, has put forward a budget for 2024 anticipating a war on three fronts. They're they're considering and budgeting economically in America for a war with Russia, a war with China, and a war with Iran. Now, that would be absolutely insane. That would not be good for the world. These mindless wars that so much of the um, globalists are after, and it always results in less freedom for the rest of us, obviously a lot of loss of life. But massive debts, which the bankers are thrilled about, and um, advancing New World Order, as they did with the First and Second World War, advancing the globalist agenda, where we lose our freedoms and uh, we get a lot more debt to pay for it, and uh, the bankers get more power and the globalists consolidate their authority, all at the expense of our freedoms. So I'm concerned that the world does not go into world war uh, in 2024. We can only pray that sanity prevails and that they get rid of these highly irresponsible radical communists who are masquerading as Democrats in America and get rid of these warmongers who are causing so much havoc to the world. And the irresponsibility of, of these people, of course, bothers one. Culturally, of course, we're deeply concerned with where things are going because our society is moving in more and more of an anti-Christian, not just non-Christian, but anti-Christian direction. So I'm anticipating an increase in persecution of Christians 
uh, loss of liberties and more and more encroachment on our personal lives by the globalist elites, the powers that should not be. So we must be careful. That's why we need to know what what we stand for and to do everything we can to resist the globalists and the transgenderists and the transhumanists and all the others who are trying to remake society in a non-Christian way, in an anti-Christian way. So I would say that the problems that we're seeing in nature is direct results of man's sinfulness going against God's laws uh, obviously has consequence. What you sow is what you reap. And yes, I think we should be deeply concerned the direction the world is going. And that's why we need another message of revival. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? We, we need God to intervene and to save our countries, but he calls us to repent. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. That must be our prayer and our focus in 2024. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Yes, indeed. Um, uh, please pray regularly, folks, and don't um, forget also the power of imprecatory prayer as uh, done uh, as um, seen, or rather, you can read in the Psalms. Uh, the most important thing about imprecatory prayer is you pray for harm to come to God's enemies not your enemies it has to be God's enemies and I firmly believe that it's God's enemies that are in charge today but unfortunately as Peter says God judges nations and there shouldn't be any reason when we've got all that we've got out there we've got the Bible available in pretty much all languages now throughout the world um, why you can have these tyrants in charge and people just too frightened to rise up and confront them on what they believe. Um, Jesus Christ gave the message to people. God has certainly worked through great people in history who've suffered the likes of Tyndale to bring the Bible to you while the Catholic Church didn't want you to see it. Um, and when we've had all these people go before us, if they could see the sorry state that we have allowed our countries to degenerate into today. I wonder if they'd have thought it was worth bothering. Uh, Peter, your final thoughts? Yes, my father, who fought all six years of Second World War and Eighth Army, said if we could have seen what would have happened, well, we wouldn't have fought against one another. We would have fought together against a real enemy. And uh, he was horrified at what happened to Britain after the war and Europe in general. And... Uh, I think I know a lot of veterans around who are very disappointed and think, you know, we were told we were fighting for Western Christian civilization, but it looked like we were fighting against it because the people who came into power as a result, the EU and all that, are very anti-Christian and very hostile to Christianity and intolerant. So, you know, where's this Western Christian civilization we fought for? And the friends in Eastern Europe have said to me, in my ministry behind the Iron Curtain, helping persecute Christians back in the 80s, they would say, you know, we never got any freedom. What freedom? You betrayed us. Yalta and uh, uh, Potsdam and just being about the whole betrayal of Eastern Europe, countries like Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Ukraine, uh, Romania, all betrayed behind the Iron Curtain, the hands of the Soviets, even the poor Russian and East European civilians who had fled to Western Europe were forced under Operation Kielhall at Bayonet Point back in the hands of the NKVD. It's shocking, and here we have films and history books giving us a dishonest perspective of history that somehow 
people got freedom as a result of the Second World War, but that's not the experience of most of the Christians in Eastern Europe at all. They got betrayed and they got oppression and they got um, placed under the most bloodthirsty, evil governments, anti-Christian governments in the history of the world, Stalin's um, Soviet Union. And uh, we had a hand in that, sorry to say, either our taxes or South African gold or um, our soldiers in the case of my dad, uh, who were lied to. They were, um, and that's what General George Patton came to the conclusion of, that he had been used and abused and his army had been used to advance a criminal agenda um, against the real, um, uh, for the real enemies of, of civilization, the Soviet Union. And he was outraged and spoke out against it and, of course, was murdered by his own side. So uh, we need to know our history and we need to understand what really has happened to understand the times and to know what has actually happened is key. Because if they can lie to us about our history, they can steal not just our past, but our future as well. Thank you, Peter. Um, before we go, could you please let the audience know where they can find your work and how they can contact you? Yes, thank you, Andrew. Frontline Fellowship has Facebook pages and websites, www.frontlinemissionsa.org, Frontline Mission SA, SA short for South Africa, frontlinemissionsa.org is our website, and you can also find me, Peter Hammond, and Frontline Fellowship on Facebook pages as well. We've got quite a lot of videos out on our Vimeo pages and uh, audiovisuals. Uh, the books that I've produced, like um, Frontline Behind Enemy Lines for Christ, available also as prints on demand and ebooks. So you can get those details on frontlinemissionsa.org website. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Okay, folks, I want to thank all of you for listening to a presentation entitled The Real Story of the World War of Worldviews Confronting Western Civilization. Peter and I will be back with you at the end of January. I'll be back with you on Saturday. And until then, folks, thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week and bye for now. Bye.